Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the PH Nutrition Podcast. My name is Luke. I am one of the coaches for PH Nutrition and I am your host for today. And today I am joined by a man who needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. It's a former friend and, well, former client, current friend, still current friend. friend. (laughs) We're keeping that in as well. It's a friend of mine, a former client, a man who has done so much in this industry. He's one half of the Lean Machines. His man has just come off the back of his first ever ultra marathon in Sri Lanka and as opposed to just kind of finishing it and getting through it like most people do with their first one he's a guy that decided to finish third overall it is of course Mr. Leon Bustin Leon how you doing man apart from being minor hurt in the in the intro right there I'm good man yeah it's lovely to former client current friend yeah it's 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 lovely to sit down and have a conversation with you in a more you know, you've always been relaxed and super supportive, but it's a nice setting where I'm not going, oh, Luke, you know, just what should I be doing? Should I be eating this? Do I need to do that? It's just nice to have a nice little conversation. <laughs> We're not talking about how, how chunky my love handles are. <laughs> oh, man, you you are always a very, very easy client, let's be honest. You're one of my favourites in terms of just doing what was set out in front of you getting your head down and getting through it and that's kind of a a key thing about you that we'll probably talk about today as well but we're going to talk today about all things ultra endurance because as I said you are a man who is relatively recently I mean it's been nearly a year now maybe even more than a year that you've been doing ultra stuff but in your training career it's a recent thing so how come you have decided to dive into the wonderful and brutal world of ultra endurance events there's there's so many different angles at which I could come at this from, but I think the easiest angle, and it might seem a little bit obscure in terms of you know this being a, tra- a nutrition and training podcast, but there was a fundamental thing that happened when I became a father. You know, everybody talks about when you have kids and you're fighting the dad bod and you get lazy and all that kind of jazz. I really, under the surface, I didn't realize how hard I was kind of fighting that out of spite opposed to and frustration opposed to kind of just being a dad and carrying on as I was. And there was this element of ego that was getting battered away and being told I didn't need to be competitive. It shouldn't be competitive anymore. And ego is not good for you. And for a couple of years, I kind of just suppressed all of my fire, for want of a better word, and just focused on being a dad getting in the gym, getting it done, getting home and cracking on with my work. And COVID was quite a stunning period of realization and reflection for me where I had the opportunity to almost step off the social media hamster wheel that I've been part of for the last eight years or 10 years now and really have some time of, okay, so what am I enjoying? I know that training is part of my identity, it's part of my career, it's part of everything that I do and has been since I'm 12 years, I was 12 years old. But there's still a point where something becomes so routine that you don't ever pose the question of, am I enjoying it? Am I getting stuff out of it other than just, you know, justification to have a couple of glasses of wine and a takeaway every now and again and not, you know, go too far the opposite way. 
And what I realized is that I was never going to take my CrossFit to that next level because I wasn't really willing to give it the time that it really, really needed to go to that next point. And everything that I was doing training-wise was so definable. So CrossFit's hard. Everybody knows it's hard. But if you've learned all the exercises, you get to a point where as soon as it says 21, 15, 9, you know it's going to suck. But it's going to suck for about six minutes maximum, really. You know if it says chipper, you know it's going to take you 30 to 40 minutes and you're going to have to strategize where you're going to have your breaks and all that kind of jazz. And I'd realized I got to that point where everything that I was doing was so definable. And I needed a challenge that I didn't have all of the basic answers for. So I'd never run a marathon. So I decided to bring the ego out and say a marathon's not enough. Let's do 50K because that's called an ultra, as you do. Because it was the first thing I was like, I don't know if I can get that far. I knew, I, for some reason, I thought I could run a marathon. And I feel like it's because it's been done so many times by people. You see the London Marathon, you've trained a few people who've done marathons and run, walk, jog, crawl, cry, they get over the line. And I was like, I don't mind the dark, I'll get to a marathon, but can I do 50K? It's only a few extra miles. So decided to do that, trained for it horrifically and was super underprepared physically and went out at my 10k pace for 25k and then it was 25k of misery and it was honestly this last 6k of that 50k I learned more about myself as a person than I've learned in from a training and personal perspective than in the last 10 years we went the wrong way on the road so I ended up almost home but then having to do a lap of the city at the same time I managed to bump into my wife who'd come to see me just to give me some support because the boys knew that I was struggling I ended up bawling my eyes out randomly for no apparent reason and there was a it was deep and it was really painful at that point and as as military as that can sound that's where that raw identity kind of comes out I guess where I was stripped down to the sheer thought process of just take another step, which sounds so over the top, but that's where I was at. I couldn't worry about my work. I couldn't worry about my clients. I couldn't worry about what my wife needed, my daughter needed, or anyone else around me. All I needed to do was make sure that I took another step. And it was extremely freeing in a word to be in that place where you're like, strap your boots on, boy, let's see what you've got. And being a dad being kind of encouraged in many other areas of my life to just chill out and be proud of everything that you do and just relax it felt really nice to just grip it by the balls and and just go for it and that's kind of where it started so that hunger for the undefinable the unknown I guess was what I was starting to search for and then you know the next thing obviously because I put stuff on social media a mutual friend in Hannah who's part of the Ultra X team said no, you ran 50. How about doing that five days in a row back to back? And uh, it was a, I say it was a mixture of utter excitement, like Christmas as a four-year-old child and utter terror at the fear of jumping off a building without any sort of harness that came over me as soon as she asked. And as soon as I made eye contact with my wife, she was like, whatever she's just asked you to do, I know you're going to want to do it. And that's that's it. You know, there's no... It, it's just that and and this is where we are now so yeah i mean there's there's a lot to unpack there obviously i think it really comes down to you being a simple man if we take it down there and if you see a challenge that you don't know that you can do and you know that it's going to challenge you and test you as a person you are always going to take it you're never going to worry about the consequences really which is something that i love about you but it does get you in ridiculous situations such as running 250 kilometers across five days having only ever done one ultra in quotation marks because as he said anything longer than 50k is an ultra but there's ultras and there's ultras and there's 50k and there's 250k over five days and you said it yourself kind of going into that initial first 50k that kind of lit this spark and lit this fire you weren't very well prepared and it's one of those where like you suffered you went to those dark places you knew that you could do it and get to those dark places but that idea of okay times that by five you were then, from my perspective anyway, in a much better spot mentally to be able to prepare for that challenge ahead of you now as well. And I think that's something that you, I'm always impressed by is your preparation, is your ability to deal with the controllables. And that's not necessarily something that was there before that 50K, would you say? 
Yeah, for a, for to a certain degree with my training, one hundred percent it wasn't. My training was so run of the mill routine. You know, the typical, the same as like so many people, the general population who go to the gym five days a week and do a bodybuilding split split routine, and they have no idea why they're doing it. They're just doing it because it's part of their routine. That's what my training was like. Elements of my work and life day to day. I'd really started to already switch to this, what I classify as being process driven. The nature of my work, you know, if you think about social media in a crude sense, you have zero control of the outcome in terms of how many likes, views, comments, shares, whatever your content has. I had eight years in the bank at that point of utter frustration and expectations not really being met because you have a certain amount of effort that you put into a piece of content and you expect something back for it. That's just natural. And what I realized is that you can you can try as hard as you like or put as much time as you like or not into content, but you still have no idea what's going to stick and what's going to twist. So I was in this point where I now essentially for social media's sake, I'll create a piece of content and I put my energy into the process prior. Everything up until go, click and go live, I will put my energy into and my emotion or whatever, my effort, as soon as that's gone, it's gone. And I will check back in on it. I'll see how it's doing. Just the same as if I was essentially a consumer. I don't really have any attachment to comments. I don't really have any attachment to how many likes or views something has anymore. My my job's been complete with the process. And then, you know, once myself, you and old Sammy Boy from Kings of the Wild Frontier got together to start prepping for Sri Lanka, what I'd realized is that that method, that base foundation that I was, you know, building it from a multitude of different directions could be molded into whatever it, whatever it was that I was facing. And with a 250K, when you're staring down the barrel of that, having only done 50, you have to really just focus on the immediate thing that you can control. Otherwise, you, I, I found it very early. You're spiraling out of control going... I'm only running 30 minutes and I'm only running at 130 BPM here. This is too easy. What am I doing? And I really trusted yourself and I really trusted Sam. But at the same time, I was going, I'm covering maybe 6K here in a session, my first session, and I've got to run 250. And the only way to get myself away from that over panic was to go, right, focus on the process. Do exactly what you need to do today and then let everyone else take control control of everything else and you just crack on and it's almost a state of mindfulness really that you kind of got into and it's that idea of being present and being so present and not letting the task overwhelm you because that is an overwhelming task especially like you said that first session where you ran 6k and it was easy realistically yeah then thinking how am i going to go from 6k to 250k and whenever we worry about that task in front of us where no matter how big it is we start to get a little bit more overwhelmed whereas as you say focusing on the processes each day putting one foot in front of the other and getting there and you got there in the end didn't you it was a long long old road in terms of training it is worth shouting out like you've done there already sam kings of the wild frontier what a man your coach for the entire thing and yeah yeah, he was um, incredible putting a plan together really for us yeah yeah it's it and the thing is with running like i'm a running coach myself it is simple like not to dumb down his incredible expertise and support beyond the program but running to a certain degree is relatively simple i think personally running programs get harder the shorter the distance because there's so many more variables and areas that we have to cover but with long distance you kind of know that it's going to be the 80 20 rule that everybody sticks to 80 percent of the time it's low and so slow 20 percent it's going to be hard and it's just a relative volume gain with you know a three-week peak and then a one-week trough where you just taper off and the things that you're trying to manage over a longer period of time is the mental health of your client and the and the physical health the wear and tear and that's where i felt like the my relationship with sam kind of really kicked off there is the fact that he kind of got to that point where he knew where my head would start to dip or it would start to wonder because we'd have a simple conversation about the process and then suddenly I'm talking about day three and he's like, fucking hell, are you talking about day three for Leon? You don't need to be talking about day three. You've got that as in the actual run day three in the in the event. And that's where, yeah, the the, the training was, was tough. It was seven runs a week over five days. So you'd run once on a Monday, the double Tuesday, 
you'd swim on a Wednesday, you'd do a double Thursday, you'd do a slightly longer run on a Friday, and then Saturday was what we'd classify as simulation, which is where yours and Sam's work came together, where we would just gradually build up the volume. That would end, you know, it's crazy to think by the time I was going out to Sri Lanka, I was running a marathon pretty much every Saturday in a fueled sense. So it would be the 30 minute windows. We would be looking at all of our fueling strategy, nailing all of that down. And it was, it's crazy. Like even now I look, I look back when I went for a run the other day and it was a one and a half hour, free 30 minute sections just to kind of get some base in there, just to build my mindset up again. And I was terrified because unfortunately as well as fortunately i now have evidence of just how fit i was previous and how far i was running seemingly simply you know only four months ago so i was into my second 30 minute window going god this is boring today i'm really struggling with this mentally physically my body's complaining a little bit and now there's that constant void of where you was versus where you're at right now and it's now just this this came game of cat and dog of trying to catch up keep the voice quiet and on side and catch up and and close that void off a little bit and that's your ability to contextualize there as well always comes in handy let's go you mentioned a little bit about fueling strategies there obviously ph nutrition podcast we're nutritionists i'm a nutritionist i was your nutritionist so good little time i was still am if you want me to be i'm always there for you as well man i'm always there for you but we talked a little bit about fueling strategies and i have to say from my point of view um i mean i said it at the top of this podcast as well you're an ideal client because you just did what was set out in front of you and when you're looking at fueling for ultra endurance events there are we have we know of recommendations based in the science in the literature of how much you should be taking on however they're very much textbook recommendations that don't necessarily take into account all of the possible kind of practical implications that there are all of the stuff to do with training the gut are you going to be able to handle this much fluid that's a combination of food and fluid there fluid are you going to be able to handle this much food this much fluid while you're on the move how long are you going to be on the move for what happens if we go too slow what happens in terms of supporting your body throughout the process as well because it's so much volume that you're building up and i loved being able to kind of help with that and being able to kind of build a little bit of a plan together for you and coming across those those speed bumps that that everyone experiences, although it has to be said, it was a very smooth ride from my side of things, race week anyway. But if you wouldn't mind just giving those listening a little overview of just kind of what you were eating while you were out there and how we kind of broke that down and how it was as well. Yeah, so I think I'm sure you'll, you'll expand on this as well in terms of the science side of things. But we did, I think, which is probably the most important thing that we did was just the same as I did a lactate threshold test yesterday. What we did with our testing before, just as we started was, you know, with the Panoe equipment that we used was you were able to find, for instance, say, you know, just to dumb it down, I'm running in zone two, average heart rate, 125 to 135 for an hour. You were then able to prescribe the amount of, or rough amount of calories that I was gonna need to consume to keep my body going essentially throughout that day. So just having a, a rough blueprint to work off makes everything so much easier. Going, okay, cool. So I'm going to whack a gel in in the first first 45-minute window. And then in the second 45-minute window, I'm going to whack some protein in. I'm going to hit about 220 to 250 calories. And then in the third window, I'm just going to do whatever the bloody hell tastes good. And then we're going to rinse and repeat it throughout you know, the four, five, six, seven hours or whatever. And then the amount that we did a sweat test as well, obviously, for the amount of fluid and electrolytes that needed to be taken on. And again, that was pretty simple. It was a case of, Leon, take on a liter an hour. You know, we obviously don't know, uncontrollable factor here. We didn't know how my body was really going to respond to the 35 to 38 degree heat that we ended up having. So we knew that it was going to be between 750 ml and a liter that we'd want to really take on. And I, and I think it's easy for me to say now, but... I would say out of absolutely everything that went in my favor or went well with Sri Lanka, my process and having the strategy in place was the biggest and most fundamental reason it went so well. Because most of the people who struggled and fell away 
or had to pull out, unfortunately. Nigh on all of them, it was a fueling malfunction. It was a case of mistaking water for volume for hydration and fueling effectively. So there was a, it's, we all know that it's not about what you drink, it's about or how much you drink, it's how much you absorb. And one of the things that I realized is that I was one of very few amount of people who wasn't really drinking a great deal of just water on the course. I was practically putting electrolytes in everything because I was just like, I don't want cramps. I don't want to fail here. I don't. I know that there's a knock-on effect if this starts to go the wrong way. So that went really well. But in terms of like the general fueling, it was a case of I would gels just went okay for me i know people have horror stories and all the rest of it i think normally that probably comes from having never really used anything like that before and then just smashing them in in a run and depending on them and hoping that it kind of goes okay and i think that's where you kind of make the mistakes like the first couple of times i used gels i actually just used them when i was at home doing a weightlifting session no relevance really whatsoever it was just a case of i'm just going to whack a gel down carry on and just kind of see what happens i don't want to be halfway around norwich 10 miles into a run and potentially have to take a dump in a bush here so i just made sure that to begin with i was only really having them in i guess safe environments if you want to say that or then when i started to run never having them on an empty stomach because that's when I found that they could sit a little bit funky on me. So gels were one thing. Then things like granola bars were also a really good thing, especially when I was out in Sri Lanka. They weren't the easiest in terms of palatability because it was super hot, I was super dry, that kind of stuff, and they were dry oat bars. But the thing was, is that having something to crunch on and just chew for a minute or so, it seems really stupid, but that simplicity was really nice, a nice change of texture from the gels, for instance. Uh, and then like little things like protein bars and I think I had some dried mango for a little while in the pre, pre-testing, pre but it didn't really work out too well for me. Nuts and seeds and all the simple stuff, to be completely honest. But you do get to a point where, quite honestly, when you are you know, 40K into a 55K day, that you will pretty much just eat whatever you can get in. And I was finding, for me, the way it ended up working was I would have a lot of calories in the morning. Obviously, we tested expedition meals, the dehydrated meals, things like that, which I think are really important to test as well. 1,000 calorie meal for breakfast, bosh, straight in. And then I would eat what I could manage for the first three hours in the run. And then to be honest, three hours onwards, I was pretty much just having gels because they were the easiest things to get down and I didn't really feel that hungry. And then back in camp, another thousand calorie meal. And then I would eat the rest of what I had prescribed for that day, plus a double fuel five shake, which was just carbs. So I was getting another 40 or 50 grams of carbs in post run. And for me, that kind of just worked well. But I do think it's extremely personal in terms of what you're going to eat to get you round. You know, I saw people running with jelly babies in stomachs the whole time. Obviously, it wouldn't be my go to. But for some people, they still got round, you know. Definitely. And I think the important thing you've said there in terms of the personal side of things is that it's all individual. And like I was saying, we have these kind of recommendations that we can use based on the literature, based on the testing that we did as well. But it's about how does that work in the practical sense as well. And that's why we did so many sessions where we essentially simulated it, like you said before, and we tested stuff. And it was that's where Sam's now came in handy as well. Anyone who has ever done any kind of ultra endurance event knows how to eat as well, which is a bit of a tough one. And Sam was throwing in spaces in those sessions to have you on the move walking, but eating and that was also built in, which was such a useful thing. And then it's from there where we just practiced and found the things that were going to be easiest for you to digest that you could palate as well, as you've said, and that we could use there. And that trial with the expedition foods as well so for those of you that don't know expedition foods basically dehydrated meals that you heat up then you pour some water in hot water and boom you've got chili con carne and it's no bells and whistles it's just (laughs) yeah it's 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 energy it's energy it's energy the the Um, thing is though but that's again there was people who subtly called me really anal and a little bit over the top with some of the prep that i did you know i was 
not directly to my face, but I knew based on the looks and the responses I was getting from people that they were like, you do I did two simulation weeks, like you said, whereby on all of those runs, I would have an expedition meal afterwards, or I would have one beforehand. Because then the thing is, you are putting something a thousand calories in your body from a dehydrated meal, you don't know how you're going to respond to that until you've tried it. And thankfully, it was absolutely grand. You don't know how it's going to sit on you. And then post post run, you don't know how you're going to recover. And are you going to even enjoy a meal? The last thing I wanted to do was take out 10 or 12 dehydrated meals and not be able to eat any of them because they tasted absolutely horrific or they weren't palatable or they gave me stomach aches. You know, that that level of process and, you know, preparation, I feel is really important because there's a lot of things in a multi-stage ultra that can make you feel stressed and anxious and worried and nervous. And if you can make that list as small as possible and all to the point whereby absolutely everything pretty much on that that's left on that list, you couldn't change whether you tried or not. You are going to go in feeling so much more relaxed. And you know that that for me in itself was 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 the key because I was the one standing on the start line every morning throughout the week dancing to the music and being excited because I've done everything that I can now the rest is a this is a festival this is this is my victory lap five times over this week whereas there was a lot of people anxious nervous worried obviously you've got the top end athletes who have expectation and sponsors to keep happy and stuff like that and then you've got some people who are so beaten up that they're like how far am I going to get into today? You know, some of the real warriors who are out on course for eight, nine hours a day, you know, that's a that's a, a daunting prospect. But for me, I was like, I've got everything in check here. It, it, the only thing that can go wrong is something that I couldn't control in the slightest, which would be my core temperature suddenly just rocketed and I couldn't do anything about it. Or God forbid, I twisted an ankle or something like that. All these things, that's all, that's my list was so short because of all of the preparation that we did beforehand. And it's probably the biggest advice that I give to everyone. If they're running maybe a 5K, the prep is predominantly just done in the training, nine times out of 10. And did you have a good sleep the night before? Did you lift weights the day before? So you got DOMS, maybe we need to think about it. But when you start getting to half marathon, marathon and beyond, it's all about Brit testing as many of the things that you might potentially face as you possibly can so then when you turn up you get to just have fun and that's where i felt like i ended up definitely i mean you had fun and you did well as well those people that were subtly calling you anal how did they did they finish did they beat you no no nobody (laughs) nobody who yeah in terms of the result like i was and, and this might just be me being hard on myself because the fact is again when you're in a multi-stage ultra there's a lot of things that can happen as such there's a lot of you know people getting pulled out of races for a multitude of reasons falling out hurting themselves stuff like that that's just part of the race so where you finish you deserve to finish let's be honest but the way that I kind of left that race is that I essentially deserved fourth place in that race which is still unbelievable but I actually got third place because Mark a guy called Mark Pitt who's a wonderful man and a great athlete he got pulled out unfortunately with a positive Covid test on checkpoint one on the final day and I felt for him big time because he was he was about an hour ahead of me I believe in in the total grand over the whole week but he said he had a bit of a headache and stuff like that the night before they covid tested because you know they they're just on it over there or ultra x as a whole which is great and he came back positive so they had to pull him out of the race so you know if even if mark stayed in I would have been really happy with fourth and some of the caliber of people that if we were looking at the ego side of things in terms of just beating people I was blown away I couldn't believe some of the people who were behind me in that race but you know I and maybe it's just because it's a totally new world for me that I don't really know if I'm competitive or you know within that space or whether I've just got such a just get your head down go dark and do what you've been told to do and get it done that kind of just gets you through it I don't know I feel like Mexico is going to be obviously the complete opposite end of the spectrum with a lot of climbing and a lot a lot of downhills as well as uphills you know i think sri lanka was 680 meters of total elevation this is 12000 meters of total elevation so a relative 50k which might take me four and a half hours 445 is probably going to be looking towards six or seven hours because of the amount and up and down so this is going to be like 
that real test. So I'll then have two ends of the spectrum of evidence that I can put together and go, this is kind of where I sit within this space as it is, you know, and then it would be really interesting to see, yeah, just to see where I'm at really. But yeah, Sri Lanka was, it was good. Yeah. And, and as you've said there, you've just dropped the, dropped the bomb that you're doing more. You've caught the bug, you're doing more. You've signed up to do Mexico in October, right? November. November. So, so what happened was, again, this was a huge shock. Because of my placing in Sri Lanka, it automatically gave me a qualification spot for the World Championships, which is which has just been happening over in Slovenia. Unfortunately, my diaries didn't work out. I was away for a wedding at the time, so it was never even an option. Obviously, it wasn't even a thought before going out to Sri Lanka. And kindly, the guys over at Ultrax said, because I wasn't able to do that, I was able to take a spot on another race if I wanted it, which was like the biggest open invitation you could ever really be given. Uh, and then it was just a case of which race. Jordan is in October, a desert race, and then Mexico is in November, an altitude race, probably their hardest race out of all of what they've got from what I can gather. And Jordan is so similar to Sri Lanka, apart from the obvious, i.e. the sand. It's still, it's still really flat. It's just, and I know, don't get me wrong, it's to be brutal, brutal, you know, just contextualize that. But in the in terms of the grand scheme of things, looking at those two races, what am I going to learn more? And what am I more excited by? Mexico won hands down. You know, I, 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 I read a book called Born to Run. It focuses around the Copper Canyons and the Tarahumara tribe who actually take part, you know, the origin runners or the last, last remaining hardcore runners out there, they take part in this race. And I was like, it would be a huge honor to even share a start line with those guys for five days but it was the elevation as soon as as soon as that one I looked at that and I was like I don't know what my body's going to do elevation and you know there was a comment that came from a friend very quickly which was like you know you don't have to just make it harder for yourself every single time you do one of these you know it's not and felt like it was a proper ego thing but it's not it's a case of when we look at if you just look at, say, for instance, I'm an ultra runner now, if you want to put me in that box, you have to test everything, just the same as we tested my fueling strategy, just the same as we tested the way in which that I was going to run and everything like that, my heart rate zones and food packs and all that sort of stuff. I look at it and go, well, I can't really make my mind up whether or not I sit within this camp until I try all the different environments that I might face. Because an ultra run isn't just a distance thing. It's you might be running for 24 hours. You might be running for six days back to back. You might be running up and down hills. So I just looked at it and thought, well, it's another thing that I can tick off to get a real broader picture of exactly where I sit within the pack and just how much I enjoy it. And also as well, you know, we have unfinished business from Sri Lanka because we were essentially a marathon short of the total distance because of a freak storm that came in. So it's still daunting to think that I've still got to run an extra marathon compared in, in relation to what I already ran in Sri Lanka, which I was smashed. So it will be, it will be interesting to see. And with that, you, you mentioned to me earlier as well, before we started recording the different kind of prep that you have had to do for Mexico already. Yeah. And just, just today, wasn't it? You have been doing some lactate tests in altitude, right? It's, Oh, so yesterday, yeah, yes. yesterday was interesting. I went to a facility facility in London called the Altitude Centre, uh, who basically, and I always thought, you know, when you think altitude, I always thought, like, oh, if you do an Everest base camp or you're going up Everest, climbing a mountain, that's when you would use it. But they've got so many CrossFit athletes going in there now as well, and everyday athletes, because essentially at altitude, you can get the same relative amount of work done in a short period of time because it's just harder, which is really good for time effectiveness. But obviously, it wasn't why I went in. We're, we're looking at about 3,000 meters at highest point uh, elevation in, in Mexico, which might mean absolutely nothing to anybody who's never been at altitude before. But basically, it just means that your body's got to work a lot harder because it hasn't got as much oxygen available to be able to pump around your system to keep you moving forward. If you spend time at altitude without really acclimatizing, you're trying to acclimatize whilst being at altitude. It can come with sickness, it can come with headaches, it can come with general fatigue and a real lack of overall recovery, essentially, which when you're doing a 250k ultra, you don't really want that. So I went well, in you like to, to make it extra hard on yourself. 
Yeah, why not? So I went in to have a lactate threshold test done to essentially the same as what we, what myself and you did, Luke, was to find zones. Because when it comes to running, like I said, 80% of the time I'm going to be working in zone two. So what does zone two look like at sea level? What does it look like at 3,000 meters of elevation? I needed to know that information. So what I ended up finding out is that my heart rate basically it's going to be about 10 to 15 BPM higher on average in the same relative zone. I also have a rooftop of heart rate being 163 or 165, I believe, from the paperwork and speed being around where I would achieve that or reach that specific heart rate at around 12.8 kph. What does that mean? It basically means that my body is relatively efficient at buffering lactate until... I get to that point. If I go beyond that threshold, it means that my body is going to have to work a lot harder. I'm not really being able to clear my system as much, which basically then means as a byproduct, it's going to get harder, recovery is going to be slower, and things are going to get a lot more painful. So what it tells me is that when I'm out there, I'm looking at my heart rate, I'm looking at my rough speed, and as long as I'm staying under that, well under that ideally, we're, we're golden. So it was a really, really interesting test. It was really hard. Anything like that, any form of ramp test is horrific. We started at 8 kph. Every four minutes, he would take a blood sample, find out where our levels were at. Then we would go up a kilometer per hour. So I started at 8. I think we finished at 16 kph, which was, I was really happy. Like Sam looked at the paperwork today and said, well, that is one hell of a base, which, which is wonderful. You know, it all just looks like numbers and data to me. But we're in a good spot considering I'm not running conditioned right now i wouldn't classify myself as but yeah it was a really really good test but i think the big thing that is going to be the biggest transition i'm I'm obviously just one point i am going to have one of the altitude portable masks at home so i'm getting one of those machines at home which essentially means all of my low and slow runs for three months as well as when i'm sitting here programming for an hour two hours at a time I'm going to have a mask on that gives me the same oxygen concentration as if I was at 3,000 meters. Again, it's all about acclimatization, getting as much time at altitude as possible. But the big shift for this one is going to be strength training. I basically lent on my strength for Sri Lanka. You know, the foundation that I had from years and years of CrossFit and bodybuilding, I was strong enough to deal with Sri Lanka pretty much. But the ups and downs of hilly courses, you have to be strong to not only get up and down and use your legs to a much further range than what you not usually would running wise, but specifically those that constant impact of braking. Because people think about running and hills, they do hill training because I'm running hills, but they only run up. They forget to run down. They forget to teach their body to break effectively over and over and over again. And essentially like on one of the days, you are climbing three and a half thousand meters and then you're going back down the opposite side. And it's that downhill that absolutely smashes the body to bits if you're not careful. So lots of unilateral stability work, lots of isometric work, lots of banded work just to change the force curve and just keep my body guessing a little bit at the moment. And that's going to be the strange one because I'm probably going to feel like come peak block training that I'm not doing enough running because I'll probably still have two or three sessions, which will be one run and one weightlifting session but i feel like the foundation of strength is going to be super super important for this so it's just you know i always used to say the phrase building batman it feels a bit like you're building batman and just adding a couple of extra layers on at the moment controlling those controllables just like you always do and in terms of the altitude mask as well carly hasn't signed off on you sleeping in it right no, 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 that wouldn't work. Because that's a um, again, sneaky little way, a sneaky little way of getting acclimatized in your sleep. And if my wife wasn't here, or, well, to be honest, she would probably be super supportive that if I wanted to in that last few weeks, I'd sleep in the spare room and I would have it on happily. She's the most accommodating person in the world, you know, in terms of support, you know, that's one of the biggest factors that we have with these kind of things. It's you know, this isn't my career. I'm not getting paid a ton of money to run these things. So I'm not able to support my family off the back of them. So to expect them to kind of deal with everything would be super naive. 
Uh, but that being said, my wife and my daughter are extremely supportive. You know, this summer during the prep, they're going to get a bike, jump on one of the bikes and come out and follow me on some of my longer runs, which is really nice to have the support and, and company. But, you know, one of the factors that I have to always consider, which is why a lot of my prep was done at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning with the low and slows was I refuse to take too much time away from my family and from my business where it doesn't need to be taken. And, you know, just something as simple as sleeping in a mask in the evening. If I haven't seen my wife all day because I've done a double run or I've done a four hour long run to then turn around and expect her to have to lay next to somebody with a generator going all night, I would have to be the most selfish or self-indulged human in the world to believe that that's going to be cool as much as she'd be like just crack on and do what you need to do I know she would but I just wouldn't really want to put myself in that position so it'd be as much as we can get in but it will be still selective to a certain degree it will and I mean as past history would suggest with Sri Lanka as well it's going to be far more than a lot of people are doing already anyway I think I think, you know, I've spoken to a couple of people and told them about the test that I'm doing. I'm a really good friend of mine now, Lewis Roblin, who's doing all of them this year, the ultras. He's booked in for a test and was like, this is why I love you. <laughs> because it's like you, his word was meticulous, which was a lovely word to be named. A nice ad- adjective for me there. And it wasn't something that he'd really thought of, I guess. And maybe I do just think a little bit further than some people I don't know. But again, it's it's just the way that my I want to I always say it's the way that my ADHD brain works, whether I am ADHD or not. I don't know. I'm not going to put that claim on here. But I do have this brain whereby I look at a challenge and I look at the best and worst case scenario and then or outcome. And then I then I think about what are all the factors that I need to cover to give me the best case scenario outcome essentially and you know it then just turns into these two lists and there's a gray area and there's a few things that sit within that gray area where i said you know and altitude and acclimatization to altitude is a gray area yes if i had to go to london and run in a chamber every single week would it be effective would it be enough would it be worth it probably not but would i still do it probably because even in a placebo effect it would still help me feel a little bit more sure that I would be okay you know and it's it's very as we always say selective to the person but I'm just somebody who likes to prepare as much as I possibly can and then what happens happens without me getting then I'm not coming home going probably should have tried that because what I don't want is a seed of doubt when I get home going or frustration that I haven't given it the best I possibly could or an excuse even. I know some people yeah. subconsciously might even use it as an excuse to think, well, I haven't done everything I could possibly do prep-wise. Oh, no, it didn't go entirely to plan. There's my excuse. Someone I heard excuses. With no excuses. Yeah, I I think you hear it in every realm of training. Like CrossFit was a huge one for me as well, which is, I still love CrossFit, don't get me wrong, but one of the things that I started to distance myself from, maybe it was the growth through the long-distance running that I suddenly went this isn't hard you know it can be hard some crossfit workouts are really hard two minutes of work can absolutely murder me but i got to this point where maybe i wasn't as worried about what people thought anymore and for two years of crossfit i remember every single time i'd walk into the gym with my friends whoever it was unless it was you know probably zach was probably the only person who who never really used to be like that who's a top level athlete but i'd sit down And it would be this tit for tat of everybody reeling off the reasons they might do bad today. Oh yeah, my knee's a little bit funky or I had some really crap sleep last night or I did deadlifts yesterday so this this workout might be really hard. And I got to this point where I remember stepping away from it and just observing and going, all this is, is people worrying about and giving themselves excuses for why they might not win or might not do the best in this workout before it even starts. And it's a negative spiral that you can get into very, very quickly. And it, and it frustrated me. As soon as I became aware of it, I was like, I just don't want to be a part of it. I just want to come in and do a workout and go home. It doesn't matter to anyone else how I perform. And it shouldn't matter to me what anybody else thinks. And, you know, I witnessed a couple. I'd never obviously say names, but I witnessed a couple of people go out on day one, get it completely wrong 
And then for the rest of the week, they were convincing themselves that they didn't need to perform that well. They didn't, they didn't need to do any better than what they were doing. They didn't need to put any more effort in than the effort they were putting in because it doesn't matter. That suddenly went from, I really want to take this challenge on to, I'm only really worried about completing it. You know, and that's just, in my opinion, that's just a lack of preparation, punching you in yeah. the face on day one. And the realisation of that is probably could have done a little bit more. And that's, that's my worst nightmare is getting out to Mexico, finishing yeah. day one, or even turning up on day one and feeling like I haven't got all my ducks in a row. That's, that's not a nice place to be. And that is the place where most people find themselves. So just be glad that you are you and more people should be more like you as well, Leon. Yeah. I don't know. There's a price to pay with that, you know, but I think the, the, biggest, the biggest thing is, the positive for me is pride. Like when yeah. I came away from Sri Lanka, I felt nothing but pride and nothing but shock for the result and I feel like that shock and that pride and that bloody hell feeling came from having completed everything that I needed to complete completely alleviating alleviating the expectations and ego and just leaving it all to the result of the process and just going look what happens happens if I finish amazing where I finish I don't even know I had no idea of where I how I wanted to do all I knew is that I wanted to do and to come back with a much better result than I expected and everything like that ends up just giving you more energy and vibe for for that potential come down off the back of it because it is hard it does leave a massive hole when you go from training for something like this and then you return back to a normal state but I just had you know, it's the same as a lot of people say with business, you know, you complete this huge project and you feel like it's going to be amazing. You get a pay rise, you get to the next level and you realize it doesn't really mean much. And crossing the line in Sri Lanka on the final day did not mean as much to me as the longing after effect that it made me feel like, Christ, we did that. And I did it the best I possibly could and I prepared and I ticked all the boxes I could have done before I got out there. Because that's where you start to really learn from the process. You dissect that process when you get home. And if all you've got is, yeah, I had a go at it, I got across the line, happy days, done. All you've got is a medal. And for me, I just had so much evidence and so much, you know, so much that I could look back at and, and feel proud on. And it was yeah, amazing. And interestingly, there's probably a neurochemistry aspect to that as well, because we know that dopamine, to, to use your ADHD brain analogy as well, dopamine is something that, that comes from work. And I believe, and I might be getting this wrong because I'm not a neuroscientist, but the dopamine release that we get from something that is pleasurable is bigger if we have put in more work to get to that point. And that's kind yeah. of the issue that we see with kind of social media and having stuff at our fingertips where we can just get this pleasure get this release get this release but it's nowhere near as big or as satisfying as unless that work has been done before and so you having put in all the hours being as meticulous as you are compared to you know someone that might have just gone done it got over the line fantastic could have probably worked harder could have probably done more prep didn't do as well as you could have done even just from a neurochemistry point of view that dopamine response that release I think, and I'm going to say think, not know, because I don't know, but it's probably going to be have, have been so much larger for you because of the work that you put in. And that's the same for everything that you do in life as well. Like that, that work to get to that reward makes that yeah. reward so much sweeter, right? It does. And I've, I think, you know, from a little bit of research and information, I've been finding out more and more about, you know, overstimulation of dopamine where people are getting this push, 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 bit like, you know, diabetes and sugar levels, it's like stimulate, 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 and then they drop off. And before our do basal dopamine levels return to that, you know, natural point that we have it at, there's always that dip off the bottom of it. And that's where that dip is a really dangerous place to live. And people feel that all the time. They'll overstimulate and watch social media for maybe get lost in a hole thinking about UFOs and stuff for an hour. Oh, they've completely smashed themselves and the problem is they don't prepare for that dip and they don't really know how to deal with that dip so you know simple things that I implement now is it's not a case of torturing your body to get the uh, the reverse effect but I do cold dips every single morning and people say to me oh you know is it amazing is it 
helping your life? Are you recovering better? Are you a phenomenal athlete? Is it is it giving you life changing things? And I'm like, on a real basic level, what I'm trying to do is the complete reverse of what we do in the social media world is I'm going to go and put myself through something that is seemingly uncomfortable or not particularly fun first thing in the morning and the dopamine hit that I get off the back of that potential or you know potential negative situation that I'm putting myself in or a situation that I'm reluctant to pain essentially to begin with is phenomenal and that's one of the things that you know it's just like a really small version of what you're talking about with the social media stuff and with the running I do that first thing in the morning feel like crap for 10 minutes I'm cold it sucks. I have to meditate and box brief to kind of get through it. I sometimes do a Spanish lesson to dis- distract myself. But I come out and the relative high that comes off the back of it outweighs anything that you could get from that social media instant gratification tool. I'm sorry, I'm just picturing you doing your Duolingo in a cold tub. It's a good little good little image to yeah. have there. Mate, it's anything to get you through it, you know, considering anything I started it. Anything to keep the streak it. alive on Duolingo as well, right? Mate, you got, well, I lost it in Sri Lanka and I was devastated. I was over <laughs> a year, every day for like 380-odd days and then lost it. But, you know, it, it, there's, there's, I'm not going to beat myself up for losing a streak on Duolingo because I'm running 200k. Yeah. Um, uh, there's worse excuses. Up. I mean, it's still an excuse. Yeah. It's not, it's still it is an excuse. It is indeed. But there still are worse excuses. should have been more day. Leon, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I think that that takes us to a nice little end there. So before we end, just let us know where we can find you, where we can stay up to date with your ultra exploits. Obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on things in Mexico in November as well. Yeah, so most of my running content I tend to put on my personal Instagram because obviously the Lean Machines is like a fitness and a cooperative or collaborative effort between me and JC. My personal Instagram is Leon Busty. You'll find everything on there. Otherwise, in terms of the YouTube content, the Lean Machines and everything like that, you just search the Lean Machines and you'll find us on social media. And on YouTube, there'll be bits and pieces of the prep on there and you probably won't be able to avoid it uh, <laughs> for the next few months because it's all i'm going to be doing and talking about i'm sure awesome man well thank you very much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure lots to take away from that we veered off a little bit from ultra endurance but dopamine i'm always keen to talk about yeah. just ways of life as well and learning from people like yourself that are so meticulous so driven and clearly so successful as well so thank you leon great conversation thank you guys for listening you know where to find us for ph nutrition you've got phnutrition.co.uk for all of our programs and then finding us on instagram it is ph underscore nutrition i've been luke he's been leon and we'll see you soon (laughs) thank you ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.